Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Alicia, oh boy, your party. Your party, my friend. Mike Johnson. Wow. Wow. Congratulations. Hey, it's the Balance of Power Roundtable. I'm Matt Robeson, and I'm joined, as always, by former Democratic two-term U.S. Congressman, add more qualifiers, Paul Hodes, and even more qualifiers, our conservative commentator, analyst, and political consultant, Alicia Preston. I'm just me. I'm just Matt. I'm just Ken. Boy, Alicia, I think you nailed it. Given how creepy Mike Johnson appears to be, and more news is coming out all the time. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to find out. Here's what I want to ask you. I, I know you've already revealed that you think that this is a huge political boon for Democrats. So we don't need to dive into that too much further. I guess my question for you is, given that Mike Johnson supported a creationist museum with a full life-size display of Noah's Ark that includes a display showing dinosaurs and his evident belief that there were dinosaurs on Noah's Ark. My question oh. to you is the fact that dinosaurs were on Noah's Ark, does that account for the fact that they probably ate the unicorns and that's why we don't have them here today? You weren't there. I wasn't there. We don't know what happened to the unicorns. It could be what happened. But if you read the Bible, what does the Bible say about the unicorns and the dinosaurs? Doesn't the Bible say there were dinosaurs on Noah's Ark? It does not say that, but actually the Bible does refer in two places, I believe, if I remember my Bible study correctly, it does refer to unicorns and historians believe that it may have been mistaking images of the aurochs, which from the side has a one horn profile. Okay. As a former Sunday school teacher, which I am, I can tell you when we would recreate Noah's Ark, we never put a dinosaur on it. We did probably, it was first and second grade, put some unicorns on there. I think there's a little bit of leeway I, with which two by two animals it, were actually the Maybe it are. fell over the side. Did you know that the Creationist Museum shows saddles on the dinosaurs? Because right. apparently we rode them. You're missing the, ba the big news. What? The big news is that Mike Johnson, the new Speaker of the House, wants to install in Statuary Hall at the Capitol a replica of that Noah's Ark with the no. dinosaurs. Are you making this with up? Saddles. Oh, no. He's already talked to his staff about it. I have it on reputable inside sources that we are going to have a Noah's Ark with dinosaurs with saddles because he wants to ride the dinosaurs into Noah's Ark in order to show his fealty to... That actually, you know what, Paul? This is a great idea. 
if Mike Johnson could actually ride a dinosaur into the House, he might be able to corral the House Republicans together and make them do some stuff. Alicia, in all seriousness, Mike Johnson is pretty weird. I don't know how much to expand on this. It's come to light that he has conducted seminars promoting the U.S. as a Christian nation. He believes that we should have a biblically sanctioned government. He obviously led the efforts to overturn the election, drafting the amicus brief signed onto by over 100 of his Republican colleagues to try to overturn the vote count. And he's written that experts project that homosexual marriage is the dark harbinger of chaos and sexual anarchy that could doom even the strongest republic. His words, not mine, which also expanded to homosexuality, inherently unnatural and a dangerous lifestyle that could destroy the entire democratic system. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, as I humorously try to do, attach you to this kind of shit, but he's gonna feature pretty prominently in democratic ads coming up, right? If you guys have a brain in your heads, he is. Look, I'm not going to question or ridicule his evangelical Christianity. I don't do that about anyone's Sure, they can believe what he wants to believe. He can believe what he wants to believe. That is his right. I I obviously disagree with him on certain things, such as gay marriage. And as a Christian myself, I believe we should love all people, not alienate them and hate them. So we have a very different view on Christianity, but I'm not going to question his any more than I would suggest he question mine. But where I'm concerned is his election denying bothers me because he's the Speaker of the House. He wanted to decertify the electoral votes last time around. What bothered me even more than that, believe it or not, was at his congratulatory press conference, a reporter asked a very legitimate question about his opinion of who won the 2020 election and whether it was Biden was a legitimate president. And one asinine lady in front Screen to the Virginia Fox. Virginia Fox. Thank you. The, uh, the cross-eyed panda. Which I thought I, was, I always loved Virginia. You Fox. served with Virginia Fox. I did serve with Virginia Fox. She was crazy then. She's crazy now. She's she screamed, no, "Shut crazy. up!" at a reporter, and I just thought, "Lady, that behavior is below the office you hold." And then Johnson, for his part, said, "Next question." And I'm sorry, Mr. Speaker. We, the American people, via the questions asked by reporters, have every right to know if you are still an election denier or not, considering if you maintain your speakership, which I question greatly, and are at the helm next time, votes need to be certified. Where? How, what are you going to do, bro? Are you going to go with the will of the well, American people? You know, Paul, will you join me in something for a second? One of the great joys of my life is watching the slow evolution of Alicia Preston into a radical, sensible person. I, I really, you've always been sensible. You've always been sensible. But this is delightful. This I feel is, like the emperor in Star Wars. I'm this like, is lefty, left, lefty. We're now calling her Lefty Preston. Listen, lefty Preston. Uh, lefty Preston. The real shame of this, I think, was captured by Matt Gates, who said, okay, if you folks are missing it, and I'm paraphrasing it, because I'm probably, anyway, he said, basically, if you folks are missing it, this is the complete and total ascendancy of the MAGA uh, Republican Party. So the elevation- And he thought that was a good thing. When he said that, he was saying yes, like, yeah, pause Yeah, yes. no, he, it's positive. <laughs> this is like Self-awareness having, police to bad case. <laughs> it's like having Donald Trump as the Speaker of the House, but it's in the form of bland-looking, dangerous Mike Johnson. 
and I look, I, I agree with you in terms of people's religious beliefs are their own. And frankly, in our republic, it has generally been accepted that there's separation of church and state and that people's religious beliefs, which are their own, ought to stay their own, especially if they hold very high positions in the government. They are entitled to their own religious beliefs. But you've got a guy who wants to inflict his view of biblical eternity as the underpinning of our republic onto the United States of America. He's worked hard to do that all his life. And that's wrong, in my view, profoundly wrong. And you've got a guy, as you've said, who is the architect, one of the chief architects of the election denial conspiracy to overturn our democracy, now running the House of Representatives. And that's not even to say that his, the very first act that he has proposed is to cut the knees off of our, of our support for Ukraine and try to put in a tax cut for the very rich as his means of having some support for Israel. This has gone bad from the start. And the, and I, the sorry thing, I, I have relatives who are Republicans. I have relatives who can't abide Trump. And Lefty Preston, Some I of know, our best friends are Republicans. That's right. Some including of my best Lefty friends, Preston. Including Lefty Preston. All right. For, for, for a but, but I, I feel for you. I feel your pain. I feel your pain because the party you belong to is, if we thought they were off the rails before, now they've elected, now they've elected a Jim Jordan in a plastic mask. This guy has, as he has no business being Speaker of the House of Representatives. And if this represents where the Republican Party is, I'll feel your pain. Can I just be the Aaron Gordon following your Zach Levine in this dunk contest? I'd like to make two points. One is that as a Jewish American following the searching out of Jews at an airport in Dagestan, in, in Russia, where a mob showed up to try to kill Jews and find Jews. There's video of this. And they literally had to hide Jews. That has historical echoes for me. And when I hear one of the leaders of our country, second in line to the presidency, the House Speaker, talking about how we are a Christian nation and is using language that echoes Christian nationalist fundamentalism, yeah, it makes me pretty freaking nervous. And that guy has no business being in government. Paul, I agree with you. Second of all, I would like to say that it's never fun to talk about mechanics, logistics, rules, things like how we draw districts, how we gerrymander. No one gets up for that kind of thing. And yeah, I'm making a double entendre there. This stuff actually does matter. Mike Johnson comes from one term in the Louisiana House, one term where he ran unopposed. And then all he had to do to become a member of Congress was win one Republican primary. He won it by swinging as far to the crazy right as he could, which is how you win in highly protected, hermetically sealed districts drawn by partisan warriors to give themselves the ultimate partisan advantage. And in this little incubated hothouse, he grew into what he is today. And Republicans, unable to find anyone else to be speaker, decided to settle on him just because he's not loud about his insanity. He's not truculent. He's not 
fighting with the other factions of the party. There are apparently five factions in the Republican Party in the House. Sure, whatever. And so this is what you get. You get these insulated people who have never been subjected to the scrutiny of an election, to the scrutiny of a free press. And say what you will about how screwed up our media is and how screwed up our system is and how much you might not like the negativity of elections, at least, are a crucible in which people have to be subjected to the scrutiny of the voting public. That has never happened to this guy. And he has basically fallen upwards into this position of immense power. And what is he doing with it? Paul, let's go back to what you said a moment ago. I know this sounds weedy. People don't like to think about taxes. And nowadays, it's really hard to talk about Israel. But what he's come out swinging and doing is introducing a bill to fund an Israel aid package, $14.3 billion worth. And he says, we can't afford that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to offset it by making a tax change. But the tax change is actually a tax cut. It goes right at the heart of what Democrats had previously done to enforce tax compliance by the rich. And he's cutting that out of there. And my friend, Brian Riedel, who is Romney's budget director, who's about as right wing a budget warrior as you can find, was on Twitter last night saying, this is not an offset. This is a tax cut. And he's justifying it. And so he's hitting Ukraine. He's cutting Ukraine right out of there. He's making Israel aid conditional on doing a tax cut for millionaires. And this is the kind of person that we have elevated second in line to the president. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Let's just be clear on what this cut is, though. It's, and I'm not saying I agree or disagree with it, but for clarity, is he's cutting the 14... 14- $0.3 billion to be allocated to Israel would be cut out of the Inflation Reduction Act. We all know how I feel about that. For, um, yeah, that was badly named. No, no, they, that was very deliberate. That was not no, no, poorly no, no. named. That was very deliberate lying to the American public. It was a little Orwellian. And it would cut from, from that IRS funding for the 85,000 new agents. That's where it's coming from. So you can like it or dislike it, but this is not some direct cut to the wealthy for taxes. A lot of people were not in support, Republicans and moderates in support out here in the world, not in Congress, where they live in a weird little bubble that pays no attention to the rest of we schmucks. So I'm actually not ready to say I'm opposed to that offset only because uh, I get to begin with. It's, wait, wait, wait. It's, it's like the money, this extra money for the IRS is because the IRS needs to spend its time on people whose incomes are like $25,000. They need all that extra, that extra money was just going to go to audit poor people and make sure that poor people paid their taxes. Let's get smart. Let's not be blind to reality. The reality is that he's cutting money that was going to go directly to enforcement of tax paying by millionaires and billionaires. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to go full Bernie Sanders on you, but it's basically allowing millionaires and billionaires to get away with the kind of looney tunes that they've been getting away with when they should be paying their taxes. 
So if that isn't an effective tax cut, I don't know what is. I will just say that the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office, which has to look at the economics of these things and decide, do they raise taxes? Do they cut taxes? Has already agreed with Paul that this IRS funding actually is going after the wealthy and it will increase tax compliance from the wealthy and removing it is essentially a tax cut. But that's another issue. Uh, yeah. But wait, um, wait, even beyond the idea of that, when has national security expenditure? Here we are in the midst of a global crisis. We are really at an inflection point in global history. Not since World War II have we seen the kind of unmitigated evil unleashed in Ukraine by Putin and in Israel by Hamas. Not since the end of World War II have we really seen this with autocratic dictatorships and terror and evil on the rise. It, it, it is a rare piece of crazy for Michael Johnson to tie national, first of all, to cut national security funding for Ukraine, but to tie national security funding to some kind of offset. That's not been, that's not how it's done. Okay. It's not how it's done because national security takes a priority at a time when we should be acting together, when there should be unity on the home front about our national security, because many people have eloquently made the case about why both Ukraine, the defense of Ukraine and Israel are absolutely essential uh, to global security and our own national security interests. This guy, this crazy wackadoodle, this nutwing bird of prey has decided that he wants to tie our national security to a tax cut for the rich. That, I don't care what party you're in, that, that's crazy. And we have no doubt that the rest of the Republican caucus is going to go along with it. And as I've said in previous... Not all of them. Thomas Massey, the Freedom Caucus MAGA-loving, posed with his family holding AK-47s for their Christmas card and... Marjorie Taylor Greene both came out against the package. So, oh, no. what's well, their opposition? Uh, oh, it's spending too much money. Spending too much money. Yeah, not not being off that. Can't do that. Anyway, hey, let's let's shift gears a little bit here in, in a move sure to cheer Democrats and friends of Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, which we are. Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee have announced a major new step in their investigation into Clarence Thomas and other Supreme Court justices who have taken lavish gifts from creepy billionaires. They are going to issue subpoenas to Harlan Crow and Leonard Leo, and they're going to try to understand what the hell is going on here. We've had Sheldon Whitehouse on our show several times to talk about this, into the about the need for an investigation to ethics standards, to, hey, maybe you shouldn't be able to do this kind of thing. Paul, anything stand out to you from this? First of all, Sheldon Whitehouse is a hero, and he's a good friend of mine and of the program. He recently had a birthday. Happy birthday, Senator Whitehouse. So the way this came down is pretty interesting, because Harlan Crow, the billionaire who is the close friend of Clarence Thomas, for decades has been funneling uh, money to Clarence in a variety of ways, none of which were reported until things started to get messy. 
when the Senate Judiciary Committee asked Harlan Crow to show up and reveal what was going on, he said no, because he said they, they lacked constitutional mandate. He finally offered five years of his records, and they said no way, because his involvement with Clarence Thomas is decades long. He has been working this guy forever, people. So now they're issuing subpoenas. It's a pretty strong, bold, and unusual step, but absolutely critical to understanding the way that money from billionaires, and by the way, from the conservative from Leonard Leo, have influenced the Supreme Court, and specifically Clarence Thomas, who it is pretty clear has has basically thumbed his nose at any notion of ethical compliance uh, for most of his career, uh, if not all of his career. Alicia, I assume that you, I don't know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but from what you've said before, I assume that you're like a little mad on this whole thing, even though you find it a little unseemly at the very least. I think it's inappropriate, but look, no one's accused of doing anything illegal. No one's accused of even breaking any existing rule. I think this is a waste of time. If they want to make legislative ethical requirements for the Supreme Court, they can do so. But the Supreme Court, which both members of the left and the right on the Supreme Court, including Kagan and Roberts and others, have said they are working on new ethical rules for the Supreme Court themselves that they will enforce, then do that. But there are no existing laws or rules broken through all of this. I think it is political theater to be doing these subpoenas if they want to do something to fix a problem past legislation. Otherwise, they're just it's just theater. That's all can, it is. It's for political natures. Can I give a quick ode to the value of political theater for just a second? I'm generally a little against the dog and pony show and Paul is a wannabe thespian by your own admission, right? You you came real close, right? You were really an actor. Not a wannabe. I trained. You're on Broadway. I trained You're highly the dramatic. We agree I was about that. I, I starred in a great show called What's a Nice Country Like You Doing in a State Like This Off-Broadway. I had plays done off-Broadway. I had some theatrical career, which prepared me for my time in Congress, which is basically Hollywood East. Because, yeah. frankly, political theater... Hollywood ugly, let's be clear. Yeah, it's, well, what a beautiful Ugly theater. Hollywood East, I'm a prime example. I, I, have, I, 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 I have a face made for radio. But anyway, political theater is not useless theater. Political theater is the way to get some attention to a problem. So calling it, trying to dismiss the Judiciary Committee's attempt to find out what's really gone on between Harlan Crow and Clarence Thomas is certainly critical to passing effective ethical rules and or legislation that is pretty clearly needed. So, right. Alicia, when you say they had, he, there are no rules that have been broken, that's because the Supreme Court never passed any of its own ethical rules. So, some that's a, first of all, we don't, that is not true. That is not necessarily true. They did not disclose things that they clearly should have disclosed. And we have all kinds of evidence, statements from the kinds of judges and people who enforce these kinds of codes to back that up. There's a lot that's been unearthed through investigative journalism. And we've had those investigative journalists, many of them from ProPublica, on this show, including Justin Elliott, who broke the Harlan Crow connection story, including the fact that Harlan Crow was paying 
for a house for Clarence Thomas's mother and paying for their adoptive son's education and all kinds of weird stuff that was never disclosed, even under the existing rules of the Supreme Court. I was going to make a point about political theater, which, Paul, I think you already largely made, which is I agree with you, Alicia. I do. A lot of this is for kind of political theater purposes. But I also think that it's worth people weighing. Do they feel comfortable with all of this? It's a factor when they make decisions about who they vote for. The whole history of how we ended up with the Supreme Court justices that we ended up with is relevant here. It factors into people's U.S. Senate voting decisions. And if you want a piece of that history, you can, of course, tune in to the hearings that are upcoming, or you can listen to the interview that I did with Andy Kroll, the investigative journalist who did the definitive backstory and history of Leonard Leo. It was in the Beyond Politics feed about two weeks ago. I, it's fascinating. I, I was riveted listening to Andy and this whole history here, and it's worth knowing about and it's worth weighing. That's all. That's I, Otherwise, I agree. It's largely theater. But of course, there is real smoke here. Unlike the impeachment investigation where it's, we have to investigate things that maybe we'll come up with something, even though we haven't found anything after two years of investigating. In this case, they've investigated and they have found things. And now it really is worthy of congressional hearings. All right. That said, I want to turn to you guys for your political expertise in the field of New Hampshire politics. Minnesota Congressman Dean Phillips has launched his quixotic quest for the Democratic Party nomination. He launched on Friday the 27th with a campaign event in Concord. There are nice photos from it in which he is right outside our old congressional office there, Paul, that you maintained in downtown Concord. He's standing right in front. Not what I would say addressing a cheering crowd. He did have a bus. Is this the last time we should talk about the candidacy of Dean Phillips? Is this going to be relevant in any way? Let's take a break. We'll be right back. He's not even polling as high as Marianne Williamson. Now, Robert F. Kennedy went independent. So I'm supposing Dean Phillips is running really against Marianne Williamson for who's got the most quixotic campaign. Look, Dean Phillips is an interesting guy. He's got a real background. He's a good congressman. And his most important achievement in life is that he was a major force behind the creation of Talenti Gelato. For those of you who have not tasted Talenti Gelato, it's delicious. It's really good. They even have a dark chocolate snow that is pretty, pretty darn addictive. What? They have a what? They have a dark chocolate sorbetto dairy. Sorbet what the hell is a sorbetto? Just it's got no dairy. No dairy. So just going for those who are dairy intolerant, just go and taste it. But anyway, I digress because I'm more interested in food than politics anyway. But the idea that Dean Phillips, who says he, he lauds President Biden, he thinks he's doing a fantastic job. He loves him. He thinks he's great, but he's running against him for president. I guess his only issue is, hi, I'm Dean Phillips. I'm 54. He's not. Therefore, elect me. I think I think it's not only quixotic, I think it's dangerous. I think it's destructive to uh, where Democrats need to be. I'm sure Lefty Preston is licking her chops at the idea of not only Marianne Williamson, 
but Dean Congressman Phillips running against Jolton Jim. And that's my problem with it, because anything that gives Lefty the opportunity to liquor chops over Democratic dysfunction gives me the willies. Wait, hold on, Paul. The increasingly ironic use of Jolton Joe needs to end here. We need to workshop a better nickname for Joe Biden. Jolton is one thing he is not. Alicia, you've done this kind of insurgency presidential campaign. Gotta tell you, that rollout announcement, I've had some crickets press conferences in my day in downtown Concord, New Hampshire. That was sparsely attended. I do not see this happening. Now, look, I'm going to admit something to our listening public. I got a phone call late 2018 from an operative associated with the Bernie Sanders campaign asking me, did I think that there would be support and could I help connect this person to potential supporters for Bernie Sanders? And I was like, no, not a chance. Hillary's got this sewn up. I was wrong. I am sometimes wrong. Not often. Sometimes. And in this case, I was just dead wrong. Actually, I'm wrong a lot. Let's be clear. And I so, agree that you're wrong it, a lot. Yeah. So is it possible? Is Dean Phillips as a thing possible? I, yeah, anything's possible. And there are a lot of Democratic operatives who would love to get in on a paycheck. And the guy's rich from his sword Beto or whatever. Galenti Joe. Sure. Galenti Gelato. Isn't that the Italian bad guy in an Austin Powers movie? Anyway, does he have a chance? No, he doesn't. But here's the thing to remember. Joe Biden is not going to appear on the New Hampshire Democratic primary ballot. I know. I'm working on a write-in campaign with a hundred other grassroots activists to inspire Democrats to write in Jolton Joe. Here's some hope for you. I just learned this morning. In 1968, Lyndon Johnson won the New Hampshire primary as a write-in candidate. There you go. Historical precedent. There's some historical precedent. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. As a former operative myself, he also ticked off members of the media and others at his announcement in front of the statehouse because his staffers kept telling people not to enter the statehouse and not to go near it because they were trying to get a photo op. It's a public building. So when you're already on Twitter acting like a bully of some kind, it was weird. It was just weird. It was tree falling in the woods, no one there to hear it. He is running a lot of television ads that I see quite regularly, but I I don't see it working. And let's not forget the Democratic Party itself, I believe, is participating, Paul, in this write-in Joe Biden situation. Not officially. Not officially. By the way, Dean Phillips missed the deadline for filing in Nevada. So how does he have a shot in hell? This is- Listen, you flatlander. This is a long shot of long shots. It's a long shot of Nevada. New Englander. Nevada. 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 There will be a question as to whether there are enough, and it won't propel him further than New Hampshire, but whether there are enough Democrat voting, and again, that could be independence in New Hampshire, Democrat voting people in the Democratic primary annoyed that Joe Biden is not on the ballot and didn't want to show up here, that someone else could get a good amount of votes. By the way, the answer is no. But by the way, I saw a quote from my dear friend, my my former partner, my my brother at the bar, Billy Shaheen, in which he was he was going a little bit like squirrely, it it seemed, in a comment about supporting Joe Biden. 
Because yeah. Billy and Jeannie are, are really pissed off that they Biden did what he did to New Hampshire. We all are, okay? So let's put that aside. You know why? Democracy's at stake. L listen, listen. You have known Bill Shaheen for decades. I've known him for a long time, not nearly as long as you. People like Bill Shaheen right. it, among the democracy of, of New course. Hampshire. No one is marching to the beat of his drum. No one's going to consider Dean Phillips just because Billy says so, as much as they think highly of Billy. All right, let's move on. We do have one spicy topic to finish the show with. New York Republicans introduced a privileged motion, meaning the House has to act on it, to expel George Santos. It could be voted on. By the time people are listening to this, they, this may have been voted on. Creepy Mike Johnson has decided to include in the saddlebags of this vote censure resolution for Rashida Taleb, the outrageous and not particularly supportable Democratic member of Congress from Minnesota, for her comments supporting Hamas. So and Democrats, in turn, roped in a censure motion for Marjorie Taylor Greene for her many crimes against the English language and um, various other things. Alicia, uh, what's going to happen here? Are Republicans actually, at the end of the day, going to protect George Santos and no. keep him in the House? No, no. And he's, I, he's I, out of there. He's out. I, I think he's out. And look, as much as I cannot stand Marjorie Taylor Greene and think she has no functioning brain cells, I don't think her behavior should be considered on par with Congresswoman Taleb or Santos. Uh, Taleb is a terrorist sympathizer, and Santos is a lying thief and has no business being in Congress. So while I approve of things that Taylor Greene has done, I don't think it's on par with Santos and Taleb. So I don't think it should be included. But for Santos and Taleb, I'm all for both actions. Paul, I mean, do you feel some, when it comes to the Rashida Taleb censure, do you feel any conflict here? She's pretty odious. She's off the reservation, okay? She's just, she's off the reservation. And she has been for a while. There's no, um, she's not hiding her sympathies. She never has. She comes, she comes by it naturally. We can all, we can have a long discussion about support for Israel, support for the Palestinian people, all the wrongs, all the rights, but she's just been off the reservation. She's an, an example of uh, a split in the Democratic Party where a young, very progressive, so-called, very left uh, Democrats are not full throttle in their support for Israel, but calling attention in inconvenient and ways for the plight of the Palestinian people. And there's no doubt that there is a plight of the Palestinian people. They are victims of Hamas in this war. She is, is and has been off the reservation. That's all I can say about it. However, she's unfortunate, entitled to her unfortunate views. There is no grounds for, for censure. George Santos is facing multiple criminal charges. It's a very different this is tit for tat. This is political theater. Santos is, should be out of there. I do condemn Rashida Taleb for the approach she has taken. She, Marjorie Taylor Greene, believe it or not, in her resolution calling for the censure of Rashida Taleb, did say one thing that I agree with, which is that when Rashida Taleb 
wrote a, a Twitter post right after the awful terrorist attack by Hamas in Israel. She, according to Green, and this is true, instead of denouncing the horrors of Hamas slaughtering Israelis and demanding the release of hostages held by Hamas, she called for actions by Israel. She didn't even pause to acknowledge the horrors of what had just happened to Israelis. I think Marjorie Taylor Greene is right about that. But there's nothing in the censure resolution that actually speaks to any anti-Semitic comments. And I guess I, I oppose the censure resolution, not because of free speech. I, I think members of the House should be censured if they do things that are openly racist, if they're sympathizing with terrorist organizations, they should be censured. I think that's, I think that's true. In this case, it may be the case that Rashida Taleb has taken a, a really horrible position here, but she's not actually, there's nothing in the resolution that actually points to specific comments that she's made that are anti-Semitic and that are pro-Hamas. So yes, I'm a host of the resolution, but boy, Rashida Taleb does not make it easy to defend her. And with that, I think we've got to wrap it up. For Paul and Alicia, I'm Matt Robeson, and we will see you on the Back of the Dinosaur.